Is it Rolling Bar? Talking Dylan. He's your host, Lucas Hare. He's your host, Kerry Shale. But on the digital Bob phone from Birmingham, he's our guest, actor, writer, and comedian, Tom Tuck. We had a falling out, like lovers often will. And to think of how she left that night, it still brings me a chill. And though our separation, it pierced me to the heart. She still lives inside of me. We've never been apart. If you're making love to her, kiss her for the kid, who always has respected her for doing what she did. I know it had to be that way. It was written in the cards. But the bitter taste still lingers on. It all came down so hard. I see a lot of people as I make the rounds. And I hear her name here and there as I go from town to town. And I've never gotten used to it. I've just learned to turn it off. Either I'm too sensitive or else I'm getting soft. Oh, God, Tom. Tears just about came to my eyes there because I used to weep listening to that song when I was, <laughs> when I was younger. Uh, very well uh, said. There isn't a Dylan fan in the world who doesn't know that song, I, I think. Um, why did you go for that one, though? Um, I, I went for that one because someone took up to me a couple episodes ago. Kate <laughs> <laughs> French Maurice, um, yeah. Yes. I stored that one up. I was like, no one's going to take this. No one's going to take this. <laughs> um, but that was that record is sort of how I properly fell into Dylan. So it had to be something from that album. And yet you went for the bootleg series version, I note. I, uh, yes, and I put, I put that in there's a little tester there. Yes. <laughs> did you, did, at that point that you heard it, had you ha experienced the trauma of uh, heartbreak in that way, or did you just think it was a cool song? I, I almost define myself with heartbreak. <laughs> you know, you create your own personality, and mine... Mine was um, constructed around unrequited loves. It's interesting. I don't know how many people have experienced unrequited love. I think there's probably some who haven't. I certainly have. And so I totally get you. So please continue. What else, what else do you have to tell us about the, those lyrics? Well, I mean, also that, that album is sort of how I taught myself to play guitar as well. I was quite bad at guitar. And then learnt, read about it, him recording it in Open D. And that's just uh, quite easy to sound good. <laughs> and really built my confidence when I was learning to play guitar. Um, so, you know, the bootleg series version of the, what's it, Tang Tangled Up in Blue, you know, mm. that's quite different that with that, you know, the, the sort of sliding guitar part. Completely different to, to the to one that ended up on the album. But, like... Just, I just learned to be okay at guitar and expressing myself <laughs> in song through that. And how, how old were you when you uh, first heard that lyric? I suppose I must have been 15. And where were you? Because I, I looked you up and I discovered that you grew up seemingly all over the world. I did, I did. I, I first definitely first heard Dylan watching MTV Rewind in Asia <laughs> because they would always play Subterranean Homesick Blues, the video. So I'm, I'm fairly sure that's the first Dylan I ever heard. Um, and then my dad had the best of CD with a purple cover. Yeah, it's quite a good one, that. It's good. And, and Joke, I think the Joker Man was the, was the one that really sort of got me 
on that. That video um, was super around as well. I remember when VH1 launched, and I, I believe it was David Hepworth who, who did the entire launch evening, and I remember him playing the video of Joker Man. One of the first things VH1 ever screened, I think. It's quite strange video, that, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, it's great. I mean, it, it holds up. I, I think I, I, I come across it from time to time now on YouTube. Have you ever and, um, made a pilgrimage to Savoy Steps behind the Savoy to seek out the subterranean homesick blues alley? No, I have not. <laughs> Worth a look. It doesn't look that different, I have to say. <laughs> you know, it, I'm not sure the scaffolding isn't there anymore, and Allen Ginsberg certainly isn't there, but it's it doesn't look <laughs> that different. And it's very easy to find. You just go to the, to the Strand, and it's, it's behind the Coal Hole pub. Oh, yes, so I know that pub. Okay. So, Tom, where did you uh, – you said somewhere in Asia, you think. I, I was in Bangladesh. Right. And so was your dad a diplomat or why? why uh, civil engineer. Right. Uh, working on water infrastructure projects. And generally, we would only stay in a place for like 18 months. And then by the time my mother had four children, she said, can we stay somewhere for longer than that? So we ended up in Bangladesh for six years and then, then back to Leeds. Oh, well, it's a fine line. Yeah. yeah. So what were the others? I'm just intrigued because, you know, I just came from the Canadian Midwest. And what other places did you live? Did you? Um, so I was born in Leeds, and then I think it was Sri Lanka, Denmark, Egypt, Malawi, Zimbabwe, the Philippines, and then Bangladesh. Wow. And in the Bangladesh, is that where you discovered, where you played your first Bob Dylan uh, CD, presumably? I, I don't remember playing that, that, that purple CD until we moved back to Leeds in 97. So when I was 15, but I, I definitely remember remember being in, in Old Woodley and playing that CD. So I, I probably just knew whatever MTV Rewind had had on. Growing up in a foreign country, did they, were you bound to cross the line? I'm just, <laughs> I just, that just came. And I'm, not, I'm usually really shit at lyrics. Um, but growing up in a foreign country, did that help you, uh, give you an insight into uh, Bob Dylan? You know, just seeing all the various ways that rules were different, that sort of thing. Or is that just me being a, a dick? I, I certainly think you, um, there's a Bill Bryson quote, which I love. And, and Kerry, you, you, you might have read this out once. Um, <laughs> you never feel so much part of your own culture as when you're surrounded by people who aren't. And so yeah. you, you do have automatically an outsider status. And I think that maybe helps you get into Dylan. <laughs> yeah, that, that seems to make, make sense to me. So, so there you are back in, in Leeds. And uh, did you, um, you know, alienate your friends by your Bob Dylan um, interest? Or would, did you hang out with other people who were Bob Dylan freaks? Um, I think it was just me, yeah. <laughs> I think it was just me sitting alone in my room <laughs> teaching myself the guitar via Blood on the Tracks. Yeah, sort of a, that's proper Bob Dylanology. <laughs> I spent then, most of my time just sitting alone listening to Bob Dylan. So. <laughs> and then, then I think the next, I found my dad had a, one of those tapes which had two albums on, one, one on each side. And it, it was the first record and Times They Are Changing. And I used to listen to that, like, religiously going to sixth form. So was your, your dad into Dylan as well? Ish. <laughs> <laughs> He's more of a Pink Floyd guy. Right. <laughs> but, yeah, that, that, I don't think the first album gets enough credit. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of the, of the first album. I just, uh, it, it always puts me in a good mood, weirdly. 
despite the fact that it's mostly yeah. about death. Yeah, but... a lot about death from, from a teenage boy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but he's just so, I find the arrangements and everything so lively. So they just grab me, you know, the way they're maybe not, maybe because it's, it's somewhat easier than, you know, say the fourth album. Uh, you know, it's it's very on, direct. Is, is, it's is right. the fourth album, fourth album, another side. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. very odd, isn't it, to start off his career with "You're No Good." I mean, the Beatles have. I saw her standing there. That's a really clear track one, you know, album one. And I always struggle to think, you know, what's the first song on Bob Dylan's first album? And it, it, my brain doesn't go. It's "You're No Good." Uh, it, well, it, actually, my brain does. I remember I I got it. I guess around the mid seventies, around the time of a blood of the tracks. And I just, I realized that I'd never, never heard it. And I remember putting it on, you know, on vinyl and just being completely charmed by it in the way I imagine people were charmed by this pudgy little Bob Dylan person in New York. I mean, I've just been reading um, yet another Bob Dylan book about his, um, you know that his persona back then, and and indeed his chubbiness, which I, I hadn't realized that when he started getting some attention after he recorded the first album, and you know he was obviously on his way, he went on a diet because I always wondered how he managed to change his look so substantially from the first album to the second album, and he basically went on a diet and lost like you know twelve fifteen pounds. I mean, um, what, so that he could look sexier. Amphetamines as well. Well, I'm, I don't Maybe it was back then. I mean, th- we're talking, you know, free <laughs> will. And maybe he was, probably he was, yeah. Probably, probably. the cold British winter. Almost certainly. Burning was. Com- furniture with Martin Carthy, wasn't it? I don't know. Yeah. No, but, you know, you're probably right. Because he, he did all those drugs way before anybody else. You know, he was doing all that stuff. You know, he was dropping acid before. Given what it did to his He's voice, up and given what it did to his songwriting, I'd be very surprised if he was on amphetamines pre-65, 66. I don't know. Well, yeah, back certainly back on Freewheeling. We can speculate all we like, but uh, according to this book that uh, that I'm currently reading, he uh, Susie Rotolo and, and basically got him to stop eating so much fattening food and so that he could <laughs> do what he wanted to do, which is, you know, be a little sexier you know, be a little less of a pudge ball. I wish I'd been, I mean, I don't wish I was, you know, 20 years older than I am, but I do wish that I'd been able to ingest those first four albums without having to go back and find them because I have a real problem with enjoying those first four albums without knowing what comes next. And I would love to have heard those first four albums when, you know, Subterranean Homesick Blues did not exist and, and, and taken them for what they were. Then you, you, you might have shouted Judas had you had <laughs> I might have, because I, I still don't really understand the problem, you know, I, but I would love to have heard it in context and just invested everything I had in this new discovery and then see where he's going to go next rather than retrospectively listening, which is what people of our generation are doomed to do. We have to do it that way. Yeah. I mean, but I think uh, in a way we're, we're all retrospectively listening because there's always secret areas of well, his work t- time out of mind was the first one that i listened to at the time i was going to say because mm. you're about 15 when that came out that's so that's yeah. yeah go on tell us about that oh it was, it was it was an amazing year for music for me that okay computer the pulp record 
this is hardcore mm-hmm. and and time out of mind were my three records of the year <laughs> like i mean i was very much a little white boy uh, <laughs> i have expanded my musical tastes <laughs> since then but uh yeah i was obsessed with dylan by that point how did it speak to you as a 15 year old uh kid in in leeds this uh you know this what was he 55 or whatever and he'd it's so dark and so bitter and uh were you in your dark, bitter 15-year-old face, presumably? Well, I mean, yes, because I'd come back to the country and had maybe like two friends. And my, my mother has since said, yeah, you were probably depressed for a year. Like, great. <laughs> yes, I, I probably was. Um, but living in the tropics and, you know, being on the swim team and playing cricket in 35-degree heat and then coming back to a Catholic high school in Leeds... People going, who the fuck are you? Yeah. But there's also a line, isn't there, between yeah. between bits of Time Out of Mind and bits of Blood on the Tracks. And going back to what you were saying about unrequited love, a, a song like Lovesick touches on the pain and beauty of being in love and how those mm. both those emotions can exist in the same head towards the same person at the same time. Yeah, and, um, and, and Not Dark Yet, I think, was probably my favourite at the time from that mm. record. You know, like, I, I, yeah, I definitely was depressed for a year. <laughs> it, it, with respect, you must have been. A 15-year-old boy liking Not Dark Yet, I think you'd have to be depressed. <laughs> no offence. And as, but as you said about, uh, you must have been, it sounds very lonely coming, you know, it, 15 is was my most miserable year. I think the loneliness of that album, that particular album, I mean, to me, that's that's the abiding feeling of the whole time out of mind is some existential and non-existential loneliness. It's it's a very lonely sound. Yeah, and it's and it's dark and murky. The sound is almost granular. There's stuff to get your teeth into <laughs> when you're listening to it. it just... I wonder if it'll be less murky if if we see a time out of mind box set on the 30th of September 2022, which is the 25th anniversary of the album, and if the bootleg series is honouring that. I wonder if it'll sound any less muddy. But I think that's Lamoire's sort of fingerprints, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I think so. Because already the, the tracks on Telltale Signs sound a bit less murky than Time Out of Mind does. And that I think it's the um, Victoria's Secret advert that's got Lovesick in it. They released that as a single and even that sounded a little bit brighter. <laughs> brighter is the wrong word, but less less murky. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, less, we're up to less in a cave. <laughs> yeah. I was reading, uh, well, the book that I'm reading, again, is The Ballad of Bob Dylan by Daniel Mark Epstein, which I sent away to the States for because uh, Richard Williams uh, on this podcast suggested that it was one of the best Bob Dylan books. I'd never heard of it. And uh, so it took, it took like a month to come. And I, th- I think he's right. It's, it's terrific. And I, I am currently reading the Time Out of Mind uh, section. And it's a bit like the, uh, the scene with... Uh, Paul and George arguing in uh, in Get Back, in that him and Daniel Lanois, they they had their arguments. Do you know the story about how they first uh, Daniel Lanois had set up this wonderful old theater on the West Coast, San Diego, someplace like that, and uh, it had the most perfect, beautiful wooden sort of acoustic, and they they recorded a demo, him and Bob and and uh, the current hand-picked Lanois band and everybody thought it was fabulous like just amazing and they were so looking forward to doing the album and then Dylan said I can't work on the west coast we need to go down to Miami and so they moved the entire 
studio, really, all the yes, equipment. Yes, I had read. I don't know where I read that, but yeah, I yeah. read that. It was going too good, and also Lanwa was too much in charge. So they moved to yeah. this rather soulless recording studio in, in Miami. It was Criteria and, Studios, isn't it? It's where they recorded Layla and, and things like yeah, that. Yeah, that's true. It was very, very famous, but didn't have any of the Lanois-esque, you know, feel that Lanois wanted. Mm. And, and certainly and, nothing, nothing like the O Mercy sessions. No. No, no. And, and then they, they argued for a week nonstop, <laughs> and then they didn't speak for the rest of the sessions. Well, I'm guessing the version of Can't Wait, uh, the one that begins on Telltale Signs with... Um, uh, I want to do this in E flat, and it, it, you know I think that's recorded on the West Coast. And compare that to the version of "Can't Wait" on the album, which I th- is I think is the weakest moment off the album, apart from maybe "Dirt Road Blues." It's an no, entirely different on. sound. Come well, on, you know, I, are you defending <laughs> "Dirt Road Blues"? Because I I will. Nobody else. No, I, I, I'm I'm <laughs> saying there's there's a much worse thing on that album. Oh, go on. I think go on. Let's hear it. And we have Billy Joel to blame for it. Mm-hmm. It's "Make You Feel My Love." Oh, God. Yeah, I totally and agree. Adele heard the Billy Joel version, and now uh-huh. every idiot in a, you know, does that on X Factor or Britain Has Got an X or yeah. etc. <laughs> Britain Has Got an X. It is quite a bad song. <laughs> well, I'm and with it, I'm with you. I, I, uh, I, I can't. And actually, I fast forwarded. I can't listen to it. I can't listen to Dylan do it. I've. I've, I think I've heard Adele's once when I just through some, you know, I was in some studio and it, it was playing. It's better than Dylan's, but it's still not my cup of tea. I don't have a problem with it at all. I'm not, I mean, like I've said this before, I'm not going to try and defend it, but I, don't, I quite mm. like it. But that's, you know, that's all I have to say about I, it. I, 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 find, I find the lyrics just like, oh, here's a metaphor I used in 1965. <laughs> and... Then we'll go down the highway and just shut up, just shut up. Mm. <laughs> it's it is quite weak um, when that verse ends. On, you you have various lines, and the, the payoff is nothing that I wouldn't do. You think uh, really? That's that's the build up. Um, yeah, yeah. I'll take that. Maybe he was trying to write something that somebody else would record and make him a lot of money. Well, that certainly I'm, worked, didn't I, it? I, I'm, I'm just <laughs> just looking at the Wikipedia now, and and of course Brian Ferry did it. Oh God. <laughs> There was a, a film soundtrack. So there was a film soundtrack in the late nineties um, to a film which I've never seen, but my wife and I had the CD in the car for a whole summer, and it called Hope Floats, which is a terrible title for a film. But there are two mm. versions of Make You Feel My Love on there. I think one's by Garth Brooks, and the whole the soundtrack is bookended by two versions of that song. So it had already with those two versions and Billy Joel well before Adele got her mitts on it. It was there out there in, in chocolate box movie soundtrack land. So How speaking weird. of uh, cover versions, we've never, I've never, don't think we've ever gone here, but do either of you guys have a favorite or special cover version of a, a Dylan song that you think improves on Bob? Or um, really... Mary Lou Lord has hmm, got a version she? of uh, yeah. You're Gonna Make Me Lenten When You Go, which I think is brilliant. Okay. I don't know how I started I love Sean Colvin's but... version of that. Yes, that's lovely. Someone's done a Shelter from the Storm that I really like. Emily Harris and Rodney Crowell have done that. That's quite good. And Merton, Cassandra Wilson. That's really, really nice. I'd like to hear a whole album of, of Dylan covers done like Absolutely Sweet Marie by Jason and the Scorchers. You know, I, I really wanted to, That's a brilliant version. And that, so I, I tried to check out Jason and the Scorchers' oeuvre, and I couldn't get behind it at all. I mean, he, he writes, normally writes his own stuff. Mm. Uh, Jason Ringenberg 
I did read one thing about that particular cover, which is just fabulous. And Dylan loved that cover and invited them on on tour uh, as a result of it. But um, apparently he told the band, his own band, that he had written that song because they were so anti-Dylan. They didn't, just didn't like the sound of this Bob Dylan guy. So he said, uh, well, here's something I came up with. <laughs> I wonder if and you told them the same for their version of Take Me Home Country Roads, which is the only other song of theirs that I've heard, which destroys the song with a real glee. Yeah, no, their, <laughs> their time came and, and went. Have you heard the second. Toots and the Maytals version of Take Me Home Country Roads? No, no, really. It's West Jamaica instead of West Virginia. It's oh, you brilliant. know, I have heard that. I have heard that. That's right. Yeah. Of course, there is that. There's that wonderful. Have you seen? Heard the cover version, um, the album called uh, "Is It Rolling Bob," which is all uh, reggae cover versions. Yes, I have. Yes, I have. Yeah, most of them very, very good. Uh, sort of a uh, different uh, take uh, on rolling. You can go quite deep on Spotify with Bob covers, can't you? You really can, and there's some. There really are some fabulous. There was one that was just uh, sent in to us the other day by a uh, big podcast supporter, Gary Warren, who recommended It's All Right, Ma, I'm Only Bleeding by Billy Preston, which I'd never Ooh. heard. And it's it's very funky and, and, and sort of understated considering, I think I'm only imagining it was sort of early 80s. I don't know when it was from, but it's, it's uh, he's got an early 80s uh, afro. Um, and it's it really works. I was I was really surprised that it you know uh, it's slightly disco, and I pretty much loathe disco, but uh, <laughs> it's more funk than than disco, I would say. And uh, yeah, I was I was very impressed by it. I mean, t- to be cheesy, I do like the Guns N' Roses version of Knocking on Heaven's Door. Yeah. Oh no! <laughs> oh, I've made an enemy. No, it's fine. I, I'm that and. Robert Palmer and UB40 doing I'll Be Your Baby Tonight belong in the same lobby in purgatory, I think, with each other, <laughs> listening to each other cry and moan and die slowly, just as long as no one else can hear them. <laughs> and the Mavis Staples version of um, Gotta Serve Somebody is pretty good. Oh, yeah. yeah. Springsteen's got a couple, hasn't he? Yeah, Chimes of Freedom, given its proper anthemic status, you know, works a treat. I Want You, which Kate French Morris mentioned as well. I really like the uh, Budokan version of I Want You. And it, my flatmate said, I was playing it, and my flatmate said, Oh, yeah, I think this is my favourite Dylan song. It's like, the Budokan version of I Want You is your favourite Dylan song. He's like, Yep. That's, well, it, uh, it, depends where, it depends where you came in, because I, I wasn't aware of the controversy of, of uh, uh, the Budokan album, you know, that it was so uh, kind of immediately loathed when it came out. Or, and people tend to, you know, bring it up to, uh, show how cool they are and uh and how uncool it is i so i heard it i was on a bus doing an acting job um and we were driving to the set and this uh i heard this music leaking from this guy's um walkman earphones and walkmans were new back then so he was it was very cool that he even had a walkman like what's that i was called a walkman and i remember him taking the earphones off and you know demonstrating the wonder of this portable cassette machine and putting the earphones on me and it was bob dylan at Budokan. i can't remember what track it was but i was immediately sort of taken by it and as a result i've always loved that that album i, I just I, I do like that album I, and i like hard rain which people don't seem to like that's it that, it's interesting because we've made a big hard rain journey on this because i didn't i didn't like it the first time i heard it i think it was was it you, Luke, who told me I should give it another listen? Maybe, maybe. Um, maybe it was. 
it's a, it's a difficult album to love, but I think in the mm. in the the Rolling Thunder context of recent years, it's 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 worth another listen. I was in fact someone I was watching the this morning, just watching a bit of it on YouTube, and and Rob Stoner's bass playing behind certain bits of Idiot Wind is just phenomenal. Next time you're listening to it, when he sings "Down the Highway, Down the Tracks, Down the Road to Ecstasy," the bass playing behind that is fucking wonderful. Really, really good. How do you listen to your Bob? Um, Tom, I mean, do you do you put on Bob every day, which some people do? Uh, um, do you, I you... will will at least listen to Bob once a week, and the go-to at the moment is the latest bootleg series, The Joker Man, and the different version of Blind Willie McTell. Yeah, th th those two have been giving me life. <laughs> I'm still intrigued by what was left off that box set because there's a version of Dylan in about '78. To eighty, I forget exactly when, doing the Muppets song "Rainbow Connection," and I really hope that will surface <laughs> on that box set. <laughs> While Dylan does the Muppets, is something I was I'm always up for, but alas, it was not to be. And yet, "Under the Red Sky" is not one of your favourites. I know. I really like "Under the Red Sky" as an album. As an album, as an album to go to sleep to. <laughs> yeah, listen, I I like it. I do like it. I I I suppose because it's um yeah, it's it's easier. It's a bit like well, probably not, but the first album is sort of easy to me. And mm. Under the Red Sky is sort of easy. I I it's one of the few Bob Dylan albums I can put on when I'm cooking or something and you know, it it doesn't doesn't actually distract me that much. Um and I I like it. It it I find it kind of cheery well there's not much music i listen to to go to sleep to it'll be like talking you know podcasts or whatever usually usually football podcasts because i listen to three or four of them so if i miss anything i'll, I'll get catch on the other one but under the red sky is just something that what happens tom what happened when you emerged from your 15 year old depression and you moved on from time out of mind i mean how did you feel about love and theft was it a more of a joyous relationship did you start to find other people that liked this music or I, I got the albums as they came out but um i was more into the sort of delving into the back catalogue by that point and when i was i think i had every studio album on cd by that point was that a private pleasure or did you have people that you talked to dylan with? pretty 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 much private pleasure yeah i wrote a play at university that was called one more layer of skin and then <laughs> one person recognized that it was a dylan lyric <laughs> and so 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 shout out to andy field if he's listening <laughs> so yeah I, I, would, I would speak to him about it but that that that's pretty much it and which of those albums when you went back uh, leapt out at you I really like Street Legal, which I don't think gets enough props. I, I, I've never really understood um, the argument about, about the muddiness of it. It, it. I could always make out the words. I don't. Well, I think it's not so much. I think some, some of it is not just the murkiness, but the uh, relentlessness of um, changing the guards. I, I, I found that. I'm, the first time I heard it, I, I thought, oh, this is exhausting. It's the opposite of, you know, the easy stuff. It's, it's, I think it's one of his most difficult albums just because Changing the Guards is so full of ideas and so unrelenting. Senor, I think, is a phenomenal song. Okay, cover versions of Senor, because there's, there's a lot 
aren't there? It's for some reason people. Is there a Calexico? Have they done one? I don't know. Have yeah, they? the one. Yeah, isn't that the one on the "I'm Not There" soundtrack? Yeah, I think it is. I know Jerry Garcia did one, but I mean, he covered probably more Dylan songs than than most people. The version that I really like is there's this bluegrass player called Tim O'Brien who does a fabulous version of Senor. I mean, he's actually, he, he did an album called Red on Blonde. I don't know if you guys are bluegrass uh, people. Yeah, sure. But I, I, you know, love my bluegrass. And I love this. Tim O'Brien is a, is a sort of a phenomenal mandolin player. And he, he plays all, all the bluegrass instruments. And I went to see him at, at the Green Note in Camden Town. I went to see him primarily because I'd come across this Red on Blonde. Uh, you know, it's a complete cover album, not not of Blonde on Blonde, but they're all Dylan tracks, uh, including Senor. And uh, he did two sets, and I, I went up to him after the first set, and I, I just said, um, I've just got to say that, uh, I mean, he he's done his own solo albums, and he's been in groups, and he's done tons of stuff. He's just, I'm sure I've heard him play on something. Can, he's played with with name. all the bluegrass greats. I'm sure you've you've uh, you've heard him, and uh, so I just went up to him and I bought one of his uh, you know solo albums. But I I said uh, I just want to say I think uh, Red on Blonde is is one of the best cover albums of of Dylan songs. And he looked at me. He gave me this terrible look, like I wounded him. Oh no! I, I think because <laughs> he wanted me to compliment him, I realized oh. later on his own stuff. But I, I couldn't really, because A, I didn't know his own stuff that well, and B, his own stuff isn't going to be as good as Bob Dylan's. You know, <laughs> nobody's own stuff is as good as Bob Dylan's. I wanted to tell him with my eyes, but I couldn't. But I do remember the, the, the pain in his eyes. That <laughs> I'd chosen to compliment him on a covers album. <laughs> Note to self, when meeting musicians, don't say stuff like that. I'll just praise there. I'll stuff. put it on the Spotify playlist for this episode, but I'm very, very fond of the version of uh, Senor by Anana K, which is just really, really good. I listen to that over who, and over who again. Who, he, she, who's that? It, either she or a band name, Anana K, A-N-A-N-A, and then K, K-A-Y-E. I'll put it on the playlist for this episode because it's really good. I'm just, have you I'm, heard, uh, speaking of covers, have you heard, um, you know, Sam Cooke's Blowing in the Wind? Yes, version. I mean, he loves that song, you know, and he he loved it so much that he wrote "A Change Is Going to Come." But it's so bizarre, you know. It's kind of a. It sounds like easy listening to me. I mean, it's very musical, but it's so strange. This because I think "A Change Is Going to Come" is ten times the song "Blown in the Wind" is, and of course, it, it wouldn't exist without "Blown in the Wind." And then he, and as you say, he covered "Blown in the Wind" as well. I'm just scrolling through Spotify now. And I've just seen something that's made my blood curdle, which is Brian Adams has covered Lay, Lady, Lay. Oh, my oh. God, has he indeed? <laughs> okay. I, that's the first thing we've got to listen to after we stop recording. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes I, I find that Dylan, di- people covering Dylan sometimes surprise you because Dylan's songs are so much better than most other most people, songs, than any yeah. Brian Adams song, you know, and maybe, I mean... I don't know Brian Adams stuff. I mean, Waking Up the Neighbours is a pretty good record. <laughs> I remember the summer of, was it 84, with Born in the USA and Reckless were both out, and they were both on rotation, seemingly, wherever I was at that time. If I hear any of those songs now, I'm transported right back to the mid-1980s. I've got a Bob Dylan cover here that 
list now. I've gone to Spotify too. There's a version of Wanted Man by Nick Cave of the Bad Seeds. I don't know if anyone's ever heard that, but it's it's very scary. And it, it I think it goes on for six or seven minutes. And it's just it's Is like it a, a live version or it's a live version and yeah, it's yeah. it's um, <laughs> it's kind of direct from hell. Hmm. You know, it's it's not Johnny and Bob messing about. It's it's the devil singing. <laughs> Oh, um, of course, uh, Janis Joplin's Dear Landlord. That's yep. an absolute banger. <laughs> I've, whenever yeah. I listen to Janis if Joplin, I always, I always n- I'm never quite satisfied. I've never heard a Janis Joplin recording and thought, yes, I understand why people are going on about it. Whereas the, her performance at Monterey, watching it, I think is phenomenal. Well, then what do you think of Cheap Thrills? Because that's basically around that time. And, and personally, I think that's, the, that's yeah. my favorite. I mean, yeah, I, I've bits of that. Because a lot of it yeah. is live and uh, she's singing her guts out. Mm. And it, there's no real finesse to it. But at the time, because I'm old enough that I was around when it came out. And at the time, you just, that's what you wanted to hear. I mean, to me, that was partially, I didn't know very much about, I didn't know, I'd never heard of Big Mama Thornton. Mm. Well, that, the, the cover of that, of course, is by Robert Crumb, who's one of my mm-hmm. all-time heroes. And But then I saw, you know, Big Mama Thornton's name, and it, it sort of helped. That was a sort of a way in to me to to proper um, old black blues music. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I particularly, um, I don't like her recording of me and Bobby McGee, which tends to be the one that a lot of people trot out. I can think of. I think that's brilliant. Though. Three or four other versions of that song by other people, but I, th- I think Head and Shoulders above it. Well, she's she is more and more, I guess, a, a kind of a marmite, isn't she? If, if some people just yeah, I just to her I want just to think, like Janis Joplin's music so so much, and I've tried, and it just it just doesn't get me. As to quote Annie Hall, it doesn't hit me on a gut level. <laughs> um, I've just thought of um, another cover uh, is the Tom Jones "What Good Am I?" Oh yes. Yep. Tom Jones yeah, recently which... has has really entered into the regular Dylan covers, hasn't he? He's done about three. But the, but the What Good Am I is, is so, it's atavistic, you know, mm. like it, you can feel the story. It's, yeah, I agree. And I've, I've seen the, um, you know, the, the version, the studio version. I guess it's maybe from later or. Oh, I yeah, he's he done sang... yeah, on Jules. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's, it's riveting just to watch him sing. My God, just to see him produce that sound. It's so the opposite of of Dylan because it's uh, it's a beautiful noise and it's fabulous to see it come out of his throat. Like shaking. What good am I? You know, like this, this sort of deep thunder. Mm. It's a phenomenal song. I'm glad he brought it to another audience because it really deserves yes. it, that song, I think. I mean, don't you think sometimes there's there's just not enough time to listen to all the Bob Dylan that you <laughs> that you <laughs> I want mean, to? I'm, I mean, I, I make probably a Bob Dylan playlist every month. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, it's just like, oh, what, what, what rule will I have for myself this time? It's one, one per album or chronological, but only two song titles, you know, two word song titles. <laughs> it's just, just there's, there's so much. What about so in, in to reference do. to your own life? Can you plot or reimagine your own emotional maturity or growth in Bob Dylan songs? Um, or have you had any emotional maturity? Or growth? <laughs> <laughs> Since um, unrequited depression at 15. Yeah, no, I, well, I think, I think realising that I had been depressed is probably the last growth I've had. 
But I mean, a um, song like "If You See Her Say Hello" that hit you as a as a young person, and, and as did "Not Dark Yet." Did you go back well, and listen to I, these songs again? I think "If You See Her Say Hello" probably got me at university when I broke up with someone, and you know, I went to her wedding and I cried a lot at the <laughs> wedding. <laughs> I, I liked the song before that, but certainly was. Uh, transported more once I'd had more emotional heartbreak. <laughs> yeah, because, I mean, art's like that, isn't it? You can you can reapproach it and suddenly go, oh, I understand this now. Um, it's not changed at all, but I have, I've lived a bit and I completely understand what this is saying. And it's not just the things that you have experienced, it's the things you understand about the world. Because I, I, I liked Blind Willie McTell when I first heard it, but, you know, you sort of learn about the world and learn about the degradation and the how lucky I am, for instance, and you listen to that song and you're just like, the understanding of the, of the enormity <laughs> of things. He's certainly got a, a prism by which to understand the world. Existence is a, is a strange thing. And Dylan helps. Is It Rolling Bob Talking Dylan is recorded on Zencaster. Engineered by Nev Brothers and produced by Robin Guys. Digital imaging by Finn Guys. Music is by Sam Hare. We're part of Pantheon Podcasts, the music podcast network. Find us on Twitter at IsItRollingPod. Judges will haunt you. The country priestess will want you. Her worst is better than best. I've seen all these decoys through a set of deep turquoise eyes, and I feel so depressed. China doll, alcohol, duality, mortality. Mercury rules you and destiny fools you like the plague with a dangerous wink. And there's no time to think.